All righty. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. The live Facebook YouTube show for League of Inches. Got Jez, Adam, and myself, Joel, your host, and just all around doing a lot for the <laughs> trying to get the page up and going and, and the posts and everything. But a massive show lined up. We've got a lot of talking points, and I've got a guy who wants to basically open the batting for us tonight, and there's a particular reason for that. Jez, I'll just turn straight to you and take it from here. How how did the storm lose that? <laughs> it was so good. It was so good being there. Twenty thousand strong crowd, back to back nights wins. The girls kick off the season with a win and did it convincingly, and then the knights. Uh, they pulled their finger out and showed what type of team they could be, and it was just spectacular to do against the uh, the very arrogant and very, um, let's say, official assisted. And I'm not one to bash referees, but um, official assisted Melbourne Storm. It was great to watch. It wasn't. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> it, it wasn't. I, I, I don't want. This has got nothing to do with the Knights winning. It has to do with. I swear to God, every time Parramatta have to go play Melbourne in Melbourne. They play the Melbourne Storm coming off an unexpected or a heart-heavy loss, and I'm sick of it. And I thought to myself, this year it can't happen. The Knights can't beat them. We go to Melbourne. Melbourne have had a big win against the Knights. They'll be in cruise control. We'll go down there and pump them. But, look, it was a gutsy effort from the Knights, what I saw, and obviously said it happy for them to get the win. And looking at Melbourne, I think they could be in a little bit of trouble, actually, looking at their team this week mm-hmm. as well. They look yeah. busted. Like there was a few of them that were hobbling around at the end of that game. And I know Munster was heavily strapped and very quiet. And I just think that they're probably carrying a, a little bit of injury toll um, under all of that. A massive credit but to, to you guys. I think the Knights played superbly. Like they could have easily just switched off after 12 nil and gone, well, there's finals footy gone and, and all, the, all that. So the fact that they kept going and, and dug in, if I think, for the home crowd, if there's any crowd base that deserves that sort of performance, it is probably the Newcastle faithful. They're, they're phenomenal uh, to go every week to tune in and watch their team play. But <laughs> 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 Sorry, come back in the cold and probably straight away. Come back. Uh, as always, guys, please tune in uh, with the comments and add in as we go throughout the show. Helps create uh, more talking points for us. We love to have your opinions as well. But straight up, uh, let's talk about our performance of the week on both the NRL and the NRLW side of things. So um, I'll go first. I've got NRL. I've got the Broncos for mine as my performance of the week. Um, I think they win the 36 to 20 against South. It was a it was a game where. They just seemed to be in control for pretty much the majority or all of that game. And South just didn't really get a sniff to take control at all. And I've I've been trying to find reasons why the Broncos can't win it. And I've thought since Origin has happened and all that sort of thing that they might start to have that slide again. But they've done anything but that. They've been really solid um, so far the last couple of weeks. And they look like they're not going to be slowing down anytime soon. NRLW, I went the Sharks. I was really impressed with their win against the Raiders. Um, I think a lot of people have underestimated the Sharks in terms of they've had this women set up now for quite some time with the Harvey Norman side of things as well. So they've always had that junior nursery coming through with the women's game and really got that side of things and done it really well. Um, the fact that they've been able to get things ready for the last year or two, um, I think has really benefited them. And they've got some good juniors coming through there and some star signings like Penitani, um, absolute gun, and was having one of those games on the weekend as well. So they were my two. Um, Adam, I'll go to yours first. 
Yeah, I'll start with the women's um, against Parramatta. I'm going to say the Tigers. Um, look, I, I didn't see a lot of football, obviously, being in towns this weekend, but I watched a lot of highlights. And the fact they scored 32 unanswered points in a half of footy and oh, they put on well, three tries. You can look at it either way, three tries in six minutes or what, five tries in 18 minutes. It's pretty impressive no matter where you look at it. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, like I said, it's... I'll give an honourable mention to Parramatta. They won that game for try celebrations, that's for sure, with the Wimbo. That's probably one of the best ones I've seen in a long time. Best team ones. We've had. We've been spoiled for team ones, haven't we, um, given on yeah, that? I the women just annihilated <coughs> the men in that department, though. Oh, like, far better. It's far better. They're, oh. they're ruthless. Well, they've had, a, they've had a longer off-season to prepare. Like, <laughs> it's, it's round one. I think they've spent the last three weeks planning for them. But, yeah, good. It's good to see the women get involved this year because, obviously, the comp hasn't started for try July for them last year. As for the men's, um, oh, am I actually going to do this? It's a red and blue, surely. Oh, yeah. you don't. That's a hard one. It, it is a hard one. Like, you had Penrith pretty convincing. I thought Manly's first half was really good. Mm. Um, the Roosters actually finally turned up to play footy, and I thought South Sydney were pretty ordinary in the second half of that Brisbane game, but... I hate Melbourne. I hate the Knights. <laughs> uh, I've got to give it to them. I've got to give them some credit because I love the storyline, as Jeremy said. I love the storyline that Christian Wells, since he came out and mouthed off about that one, has literally been beaten by Penrith then beaten by the Knights. So the Knights turned up. Their season was on the line. Um, I never thought I'd say it, but they probably get the performance of the week there. Do you think that was used as motivation throughout the week, that little comment that he said? Because when he first said it, I personally didn't think it was that much. I just thought he was just saying what we all thought, basically. We all Obviously, I think they've taken it probably a bit personal. <clears throat> by, by the looks of well, the they haven't said have, but he's he's taken down both teams. Like He's taken yeah. out the Penrith Young players, pretty much calling them nothing players and calling the Knights first-grade starters rubbish. So as if it wouldn't have been. Jez, who you got? I know. Um, I think I know your NRL one. Yeah, well, my NRLW, and it was just because I was there. So the the girls played before the men at Newcastle, and to see the the Knights start their season off with a win is really exciting. Uh, I think we're pretty pretty good contenders to go close to going back to back. Tamika Upton, like oh. two hundred and thirty nine running meters. Uh, every time she touched the ball, it was just so exciting. But then I absolutely love. Um, our halfback, she is just, just Jesse Southwell is yeah. every time she touched the ball in a playmaking opportunity, it just looked like points. And she iced the game with that classic Andrew Johns step cut through the line like she did in round one last year against Brisbane at home. And it was just over again, um, really, really great to watch. And there was a great crowd too. I think they said there was about 9,000 uh, there to watch the girls. Um, so that was really, really good. And then, Obviously, the crowd bumped up for the the main game. Um, my just on Southwell quickly. Um, yeah. Just a quick point for her. Her control as well is ridiculous. She's only eighteen years old. Let's She's remember, 18. she's still got a lot of growing to do. And how she can control a game, uh, I know we've been spoiled with the men's game for a number of years now with Joey and and Cleary and all that sort of thing. But for the women's side of it, I have no doubt already. I can say this: she's going to be up there with those sorts of calibre of players for the women's side. Her her control and how she plays already is just ridiculous and it's only going to improve. 
if, well, if I think she's gonna, she's gonna make a name for herself though. I don't. I think yeah. the comparisons are gonna stop quite soon between is she and Andrew Johns, is she and Nathan Cleary? No, she's a Jesse Southwell. She's an absolute gun. Same with Tamika Upton. There's no comparison. Like she's, I know they're both night supporters and I might have my red and blue glasses on this week, but they were really impressive to watch live. She is good. I've played against her, um, just playing Oztag and stuff, and you can see the freakish ability she's got, the ability to go to the line, throw a dummy, and you know she's going to do it, but she still beats her. Yeah. So it's it's pretty good, pretty impressive. And like I said, that was when she was, what, last year, 17, just turned 18. I think she's 19 this year. Is she 19? No, she's 18 this year. No, 18 this year. Just turned 18 in Feb. Because she was, yeah, she was 17 last year and she was pissed as all fuck uh, at the grand final celebrations. <laughs> at the we, don't, we don't, we don't, we don't, allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. And then for my men's, again, it was it was the Knights um, being there live, seeing it happen. The Newcastle chant going around for the defensive efforts was really, I think, the staple in what was a really impressive performance at home. And it just left, like when we were 12 0 down, um, one was a, a great try from Nick Meany in broken play. The other one was a three-metre forward pass. So be it. Uh, 12 nil down pretty early. Uh, I think everyone sitting around us were kind of going, here we go. Um, and then mm-hmm. for the Knights to turn that around was great. Greg Marju um, was unstoppable. 171 run metres. I think he had eight tackle busts, um, four line breaks. He was – he Is turned it- one on. And Tyson Frizzell was just spectacular. spectacular. Is there anyone you'd like to thank for Greg Marju? Someone that – may have not given him a go, someone who like, doesn't like to give young players a go and they appear to go elsewhere and have good careers. Uh, I'll do it for you. Um, as yeah. behalf of all my friends and Knights fans, I'd like to thank Brad Arthur for not giving Greg Lazarini a name. Go, um, <laughs> he changed his name to Greg Marju. That's how embarrassed he was. He couldn't get a go at Parramatta. Um, was told he wasn't good enough. So, Brad, that one's on you once again. Um, add Jamal Fogarty, Greg Marju. <laughs> Um, well, it's Greg not like the that, um, that, that turf off our juniors and watch them do better. Where And when Nick Meany scored, I think the bloke behind me was like, oh, and he's a fucking Knights local too. We let him go. I was like, yeah, because he was rubbish back then. <laughs> now he's good. <laughs> he's been rubbish everywhere he's gone and he's got to the yeah. store and he's turned into <laughs> Superman. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, well, just, just a quick one, Jez. I just want to yeah. ask a, a serious question here. Were you all good getting out of the, the ground because – how you've just done your performances? I think you were walking out with a, a bit of a, a bit of excitement. Were you okay? Oh, look, uh, it was cold. I'll say that. Yeah. Um, so I didn't have to give that much of a buffer, but I did wait until uh, all the players did a lap and, and we got to clap them as they they came they, around. They carried the trophy around. That's how excited they were for that win. Was what I've been told. <laughs> it was like they didn't think they'd won the grand final by beating Melbourne. Is that correct? Was it like winning the grand final? I wouldn't know. Oh, it certainly felt like it. After the year that we've had, um, it certainly felt like it. Yeah, well, I might, yeah, I might not need a finals team. Who knows? <laughs> oh, look out. Late season surge. They're back in contention. Last week we wrote them off. This week they're back in. Um, I'm back in, in the 30 plus this weekend. Just putting that out there. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Oh. yeah. <laughs> the NRLW oh, was great to watch on the weekend. I'm pretty sure I got through all the games apart from the Saturday night one because obviously Parry were playing at the same time. But um, there was one incident that has sort of caught the eye um, and caught someone's arm, unfortunately, in the biting incident where we had Ashley Werner from the Brisbane Broncos winger um, who was actually sent off and it was the first send-off we've seen in the women's game to date. So I think it's, what, five years now it's been going and this is the first ever send-off. So it's taken some time. Now, I want, it was, it's against the Roosters it happened and 
I think the send-off, that's a fair punishment, but there's also going to be a suspension. I think that was happening tonight. I'm not too sure if they've released. Oh, she got two, two weeks. weeks. You got two games. Oh, yep. Okay. Miles leading into my question. I'm going to say how many weeks did we think she was going to get? Now, let's consider that the fact that it's a nine-round competition plus finals, do you think two weeks is enough? Because that's almost a quarter of the season if you look at it like that. Yeah, I, I think oh, it's enough. She, based on, yeah, I think it's enough. Yeah. Sorry, Adam. She um she joins the one and only Kevin Proctor, who's the only other person to be sent off for biting in the NRL era. And he got four games. Yeah, well. Shout out to James Graham for, for that grand file incident. <laughs> he got away with it. Got away with it. Yeah, he's sent off. Look, I, I don't like biting. Obviously, he's got no place in the game. But I'll go back to a local one that happened. It was a long time ago, and it was very similar to what happened on the weekend. Um, no, no, I'm I'm not talking about that one, Joel. Um, on the field, <laughs> that was likely to. Uh, <laughs> but let, oh, let, let's, talk, let, let's talk seriously, Joel. Before you make me lose my shit again. But <laughs> there was one, one that happened in a local game. Oh. Jeremy's just joined us. He's keeping together pretty well. Yeah. Um, there was one that happened in a local game. It was very similar to what happened here. It was a maiden one that was involved. And the thing was, yeah, she bit her, but wasn't the illegal action before that of the girl having her hand around her mouth, isn't that classified as a high tackle? It's a high shot. Well, it's a high yeah. shot. Exactly mm-hmm. right. So, And I'm not saying she did the right thing to bite her, but look, I know now, for me, for example, I don't like, I wouldn't like if someone had my hand across there in a tackle. I don't like it. Like, I struggle to breathe as is having asthma. You don't know what her situation is, what are her experiences with that kind of stuff as well. Um, so, yeah, she's bitter, but they need to get that kind of rubbish out of the game as well to prevent things like that happening because, you know, she's essentially – and I know her argument, and I know my mate that had the same argument as well. He was trying to say, like, I was just trying to yell and trying to get out of there, and that you're trying to fight in a tackle. Like, what are you meant to do in that circumstance? You know, you don't know what was going through her head at the time. So, Look, I think two weeks is fair based on the length of the season. As you said, essentially, if you looked at it across an NRL season, she'd be missing seven games, um, a quarter of the season yeah. or a fifth of the season. Um, so that's probably fair because, like I said, it's a pretty clear send-off. But I think it was kind of the same as the Proctor one as well. Um, Johnson had his hand straight around his mouth. So what's he meant to do? And that was her defence um, when she went in tonight was that she couldn't breathe. Yep. So she was trying to fight from the tackle, um, recovering from the high contact. And then on the ground, couldn't breathe. Um, her arm was in her mouth. Um, still, like, I, I still believe you can control yourself a little bit and probably not bite on the arm. Like, I get him making impressions just by having your, your teeth on the arm, but apparently there was quite um, quite an impression. So there was force bitten down with, uh, and that was the complaint from the, the tackling player. But I agree with you, Adam. It was high contact. And there's been a couple of, even in the men's game um, this round, some high contacts that have been called and not called. So I think there's definitely some room for improvement when it comes to yeah, clamping down on keeping the arms away from the face and just the rubbish on the ground in general. Rubbish on the face, Cameron Smith. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're right. And I don't want to go on this adventure again, but some of the high contact that's been missed just shows how poor the refereeing is at the moment. Um, you know, an example is having to use a captain's challenge for high contact was missed. And that's when a player chose to not lay down. The player could have easily lost down, laid down beside the captain's challenger. It's just things like that shouldn't be getting missed. Yeah. It's just frustrating. It's frustrating for your team. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah two, I, weeks, two weeks is definitely um, the right amount in consideration of their season. Yeah, I was going to say, I, th- I think that two, two, I didn't know the two weeks, but I was going to say two, three weeks would probably be a fair 
uh, crack for her, but so that's that's pretty uh, fair for mine. Now, Frankie, we'll get to your question towards the end, just those off-topic questions we like to keep towards the end of the show and then cover them all, go on a quick spiel and, and answer all questions that come through. Um, I want to talk about, there's an issue at the moment, I feel like, in the game, and we've sort of spoken about this in past episodes, but I want to focus <clears> on it this week, is the current play, player, uh, playmaker stocks. And for mine, when I look at it and look at the, because we keep hearing about these bottom clubs who are needing halves and needing five eights and all this sort of jazz, and there's just not, no one sticking out at the moment on the market. And I had a look through this afternoon about the list of players who are off contract, and I'll quickly go run through some of the names that I got um, to just show and explain to you guys and the viewers that the, I feel like the playmaking socks at the moment is probably at the lowest it's ever been in terms of depth and quality players available, which is making it really hard and also driving up those players like Ben Hutton that's still getting that million-dollar-plus contracts. Um, so I've got Jack Cogger, Matt Frawley, Ben Hampton, Jamin Semin, Adam Clune, Cole Flanagan, Drew Hutchinson, Cooper Johns, Brad Schneider, Blake Tarth, and Brennan Wakeham. They're just some of the players that I've got off the, the list that are available for next year. But, look, if you're a Tigers, you're a Bulldog, you're, you're some of these clubs or all the Raiders are chasing someone, none of those players for mine are going to improve your team. Is this is this a problem at the moment we're finding with the NRL and maybe junior development with their playmakers being so seeming like it's a, a drop a low, a below where it should be? What happened to the halfback academy? Wasn't there a, a, a halfback academy where all the up-and-coming ones from the knock-on effect and from Jersey Flag would go and actually hone the skills to be a, a dominant playmaker? Is that still a thing or is that am I making this up? I don't remember. No, I think, yeah, I think it's gone now towards the junior for origin. So they like New South Wales yeah. and Queensland pick their junior <clears throat> players now and they focus on that in the off-season. But they, they oh. pick those players, but then they don't look at them for origin because they're not considered. Yeah. 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 But you're right. The, the list of names that you've read out there, none of them are going to lead your team to victory consistently. And they would all need a successful and mature half to play alongside them. And whether or not, like, people have tried with Cooper Johns. Like, he's been at Melbourne of all clubs, played consistently at Melbourne, but was just behind better players. He's gone to Manly and played a handful of first-grade games, finds himself lined up next to Jake Arthur in the knock-on effect. So he's the really the only one that really stands out. I know that Cog has been linked to a couple of clubs. Um, unfortunately, I heard the Knights being linked to that as well. I don't know why. But, again... He was at the Knights, wasn't he? He was. Much he was yeah, as yeah. a junior. But these are all subpar <laughs> halves. And that's why our old and maturing halves are earning million-dollar-plus contracts because clubs are so desperate to have a, an established half and not wanting to invest or, or use that time. But, yeah, Adam, thoughts? Um, Kyle Flanagan, probably the only one I touch. Um, I think he's yeah. been pretty treated, treated roughly throughout his career. Um, he was good when he first came on the scene and obviously went to the dogs. They expected great things of him and it never was really going to work out there with the team they had. Um, but he's going to go to the Dragons for sure. Everyone knows that. Uh, he'll go play under his dad. Jack Cogger, um, look, I think he's a good sign if he does go to the Knights, and I can guarantee he's going there. Um, but he's a better player than Tyson Gamble. Um, they shit on him when they first got there. He was pretty good to their junior system. Um, come in the grade, and obviously they let him go, and he went to the Dogs, and then he's been overseas. He's come back a more mature player. Look, every time he stepped in that Penrith team this year, he's done a pretty good job, and it shows about having a good player 
I'm sorry, let's say an average player, average ability to be good in a good system can help. Well, I think he'd be beneficial for the Knights uh, coming out of that Penrith system for sure. Um, he's probably the only one I touch. And oh, look, I'd be happy to have him as a backup half of Parramatta, um, given the way he's played for Penrith this year. But like I said, there's, there's not much else there is, is there. Like Brendan Wakeham is, you know, average reserve grader. Um, you can probably add Sam Walker to that list. He's probably going to be the most hunted one. I know he's not off contract, but looks like he'll be free to go at the end of the year from the Roosters. So I think he'll be the only one that will chase higher money and teams will really be chasing. Um, do you think the the Tigers or someone's going to throw big money at him? Because it appear the Raiders are out of the market, obviously, after signing Ethan last week, which still hurts. Well, that, that just gives us more reason why, from what we were talking about last week on Ethan, the fact that his stocks would have risen up from this because if you look at this list and honestly, like he's probably above most of these players already in a way because he's got the added benefit of being younger and they can mould him into the player that, that the Raiders want moving forward. Like we've seen the Tigers at the moment need to think outside the box. They've got to look at someone like Aiden Caesar uh, from the Super League and that we, were, we were hearing last week that that was getting close, but then obviously Bendy and the, and the board are bickering and the recruitment, so we don't know where that's gone to now. But, yeah, it's just interesting because then you also think about the next year or two where players like DCE, Ben Hunt, those sorts of players will probably be retiring for and like there's going to be a big chunk of experienced quality playmakers leave the game. There's not too many young guns coming through. Like we mentioned Ethan before, he's probably he's one of those guns coming through. But there's just not a whole heap sticking out where, like, you look at someone like the Tigers who desperately need that player there. It, it's and no, not everyone can have Nathan Cleary or Mitchell Moses or someone like that. The, the problem it's, is you don't you don't need two good halves anymore, uh, and that's where like teams are going so wrong now. Like I'll say now, like let's let's obviously easy to use Paramount example, but with Dylan Brown now, Arcee's done the job. Like he struggled on the weekend, but he's done a job there for five or six weeks, and. You give him a full preseason training, then obviously give him a full year in five eight. On he's probably on one hundred and fifty thousand dollars compared to Dylan's around six hundred and fifty or six hundred or something like that. You don't really need it, so like, and that's that's where teams are going wrong. They're keeping these older players around too long, as they kind of used to be. I'm not saying they're old, but they used to be shipped off the Super League. There it is. There's the one mention of the week so far. They would be. You'd see players. Well, the example's right there, isn't it? Aiden Caesar, Blake Austin, both playing for Leeds. Well, they're both playing for Leeds. They've left the Super League at 20, left the NRL at 26, 27. They go over there. And so many players were doing it. Um, now, obviously, we keep them around because they're getting such big money. But like, they released that thing on Facebook the other day. I saw it going around. All the props and the money, the props are on now. So now we're giving props, at, you know, the good props from 800000 to a million dollars a year. There isn't the money to spend on both your halves. Then your fullbacks want that and your hookers want that. Like, they all just want too much money. And, like, you've got specialist wingers now on $500,000 a year. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that, that's that's what the salary cap's meant to protect from happening. But one thing I meant to say as well is bringing in the 17th team was always going to make a struggle for players because players are on that, you know, you know, couldn't quite get a go, have come in, played for obviously the Dolphins, and, you know, we've seen them have to test their depth. Because let's be honest, the Dolphins signed majority of fringe first graders this year, besides obviously some strong mm-hmm. forwards. They couldn't really land the big player they want. Um, but yeah, it's a prime, a prime example to back you up there, Adam, is Luke Metcalf at the Warriors. Yep, so Correct. you don't need two spectacular halves. You've got Sean Johnson, who's in career best form, and then Luke Metcalf is having really solid games beside him and super beneficial for the team. So he is yep. one that's just really gone under the radar. Um, and watching him in the Warriors game against the Raiders, 
he he controlled his own side of the field. It was great to see. But here, here lies the issue in the future. You do that now, and I'm all for it now, but it's never going to be long-term. Like, let's look at Canberra, for example. Canberra, obviously, we said they've signed Ethan. They've got Jamal Foggy. They've let go of Whiten. But the more young players you bring through, and I hate Penrith, but Penrith is an example. It looks like they're probably going to lose Luai. They've mm. brought all these players through, um, and now they're going to obviously lose them. Like Canberra, for example, and everyone watched that under-19s game. Obviously, we're doing the podcast at the time. They had that Ethan Strange who got, what, did he get three tries and two tries or something like that? Yeah. He's, he's at Canberra now. He's going to come. He's going to demand big money when he makes NRL. He's going to make it. In the same game, they also had Jack Clisdale, uh, big front rower that absolutely killed it. So they've got those two there, and then they've gone off and spent money on another player from that game in the under-19s. In four or five years' time, when they're all 23, 24, they're going to find themselves in trouble and have to release players again. Mm. It's yeah. <clears throat> There needs to be something in the system where if you bring your player through from – SG Ball, Harold Matz through to first grade, there should be some kind of salary cap exemption. No, I agree. Then you'd, get, you'd get clubs like Penrith who have that fantastic setup all ready to go. But yep. then again, you're you're probably right. They deserve to do that because they are breeding let's, the next let's, generation. Let's say, let's, let's say now, we're not going to start it now. We're going to start it in five years' time. Mm-hmm. So you've got your players there under 16s, 15-year-olds. So by the time the system comes into place, they're going to be 20. And it's going to reward you to keep those players. And it's going to make people put money into their grassroots and their junior system. Like Parramatta are doing it now. Um, Newcastle needs serious work on theirs. I think everyone that knows in the area knows that. They're, they've they've had good a center of excellence and it looks great. Got, yeah, it looks great. But they're, and they're getting they're getting stronger. But they've they've let so you said earlier, they've let so many players go there and they shit on what's in their own backyard. They should be one of the strongest. But if you encourage teams to do that, I think we'd have a better comp and we'd have more players coming through. Because you'd want to keep players around, and it'd be stronger, a stronger competition in general. Yep. Do we think though, if that was to happen, and, and this gets brought up a lot with, with that side of things and keeping the juniors and all that, it sounds good in theory, like it sounds brilliant. But look at like like let's use the Penrith Hars for instance. They're going to be there for a long time. If Lua decides to stay, they'd be there for ten plus years. Does that mean? Any young hearts coming through for Penrith, they've already seen people like Burton that have to leave to get their first grade opportunities, and Crichton needs to leave to go play fullback that he wants to do. Um, there'll be just a riches. Some club will have a riches of just depth of halves, and some players who might be able to play 100, 150 games of first grade might be stuck there playing only 10 games and filling in for Cleary, say, when he's on state of origin duties. Well, that's up to the other clubs and how they want to manage their salary cap. If they want to take the gamble and buy a second string Penrith half who has been in the system that whole time, then that's on the club buying. I know the, there's many clubs out there that spend a lot of cash on these halves that just don't pay dividends for them. So I don't think that'll change. I just think, it, as Adam said, it, it rewards the clubs that are willing to invest in their juniors and see them become first-grade players. Yeah. There'd have to be some kind of reduction, like a, like a yeah. percentage reduction across the years you keep him. So 25% down to 20, down to 15 or so on as a player gets on in the career, which encourages you to bring that next one through. So you bring your next guy in at 20 years old, all of a sudden, let's say Luai is 29, you're only getting a 5%, um, obviously drop on his salary, you know, not including the salary cap. Then all of a sudden you bring through your next guy who's going to get a 25% at 19 years old. You're going to let Luai go, aren't you? Talking about signings, um, I want to talk about the mid-season signings. And and first of all, I want to ask if you boys are a fan of it. Uh, We've seen a bit happen this year. I think it's been quite a busy um, little period um, 
I know most years it is busy, but it just felt like this year has been a lot more changes with teams starting to use this period in their, their like we see Parramatta, for instance, they've kept two or three spots available right until the end. So they're starting to actually manage this. So when they run to the finals, they can get players to add to it to make them even stronger. So are we a fan of this mid-season uh, transfer window as such? I like people playing chess. Um, <laughs> I like when they can, um, yeah, save those spots like Parramatta have and move. Uh, I'm just looking at the chat and I can't stop laughing at Adam, <laughs> everyone putting shit on Adam for his computer to die. Um, <laughs> Got to hit click. Everyone hit click after 15 minutes. <laughs> um, I like clubs that are strategic about it. Um, am I a fan of mid-season transfers? Oh, yes and no. I, as I said, I, I like the strategy part behind it. If people, if clubs can um, save these selections to boost them heading into finals, then I think that they deserve that uh, if they're willing to play that long game. But I think it's just the way the, the way it is, really. Is that because the Knights haven't made one yet? Because us para fans, we've been very active oh, this period of time. <laughs> we've, um, we've we've seen, yeah, we, we beat the Storm that one time, so we don't need it. They've already won the grand final. Yeah. We're, we're, we've seen like Parramatta, for instance, they've lost Jake Arthur, Nathan Brown, and they've added in Joey Lussick now, as of today, offhand Gowie, and my favourite player, Andrew Davey. <laughs> um, so it, it, we can see that it can pay off and... Um, I'm just not sure if it's the fairest way to do things because you can strengthen. And we've seen it with Penrith a couple of years ago when they added in Tavita Pengai Jr. and all of a sudden he turned into the Hulk for that period of time he was with Penrith. So um, that one I hated. Really, yeah. That one I hated because the Tavita Pengai one was a joke. Is that because it was Penrith? No, no. They they cheated. It was blatant cheating. If you're going to bring a player across, you need to have them on contract the year after. Penrith didn't well, have Well, done it with Lodge this year. Who did? Yeah. Lodge. Manly's done that with Lodge. He's, they've yeah. got him on a train and trial apparently at the moment, which is ludicrous they, because we all know he's playing first grade. Well, and the rumours were floating around about Suwali as well. Like Suwali's obviously going to rugby and someone's going to take him for the end of the year. But the like the Tavita Pengai one, they never had the space for him in the cap. And that's what I was about to mention, the one that Graham just mentioned as well. Mm. That wasn't that wasn't a sign. That was a loan. That was a play alone. And that was just disgraceful as well. Like what you're going to see is teams i know we spoke about this other week as well but teams that are out of finals contention and players that want to play finals are going to start asking their teams for releases if this keeps up um, i've got no problem with the joey lussick one he come from super league he left a team that's just won four comps in a row to come back to Parramatta to help them he never wanted to leave the club as well but got a pretty good offer overseas but some of the other ones i'm all for player swaps i think at this time of year yeah. i think player signings should say before june 30 Anything from June 30 through to whatever is August the 4th, whatever, should be a player swap. So you've got to give and take um, and like for like. So if we said Bulldogs, you can have Josh Hodson, we'll take Reed back, for example. Wouldn't do it. But if if we did, hate him, dead to me, um, mm. you know, <laughs> it'd be a like for like for hooker for hooker um, if he was not injured, obviously. But just this whole taking players because then not putting them on contract, I don't like. I agree. They've, they've got to be on the contract for the following year. That, that, yeah, that's what I was about to say. I think it needs to be, it needs to be sort of a signing where it's building into the future in a way because 
Like, let's look at Manly's one, for instance. They they brought in Aaron Woods and and we just said Matt Lodge. I don't think they're part of their future at all moving forward. Where, and I'll give the Bulldogs actually a wrap here with Toby Sexton. He looks like he is part of the Bulldogs' future moving forward. He could be their halfback for for a number of years moving forward with this early form he's shown. So. I like when clubs do it when it has a sign of the future about it. But if it's a desperate bid to just get someone on to try and boost this year, it just screams desperation. I think a lot of Manly's ones this year, to be critical of them, I think a lot of theirs have been desperation signings this year. And You're not talking really about Sharon, are you? <laughs> well, honestly, like, I don't know how old that bloke is now, but it feels like he's about 45, still <laughs> going and, and gets about 20 minutes a week. Um but I just feel like, because we just spoke about it before, clubs bringing their juniors through and giving them chances. I, th- I felt like Manly had a perfect chance this year that, let's be honest, they're not going to win a comp this year. They're, they're nowhere near winning a comp this year. So bring on some of your younger forwards to help bring, like, to, to encourage the fans about what's to come in the future because all that's going to happen is, like, Woods and stuff gone next year and they're left again with the whole, what happens next year? They're going to call Aaron Woods up again again, mate. Bro, yeah, retirement village, or can you come back out and help us out for another six weeks? So I no. just, yeah, I don't like those desperate ones. I agree with that last comment, though. I believe the cutoff is too late into the season. Should be June Well, 30. it got changed. Yeah, it Should got be, changed. There were too June many 30. complaints. Yeah. Like, local, locally here, you can't register a player in any, in a, like any New South Wales rugby league competition after June 30. Same with um, soccer as well. Yep, that's what I mean. So why is the NRL the top gate? Like it's is it to encourage the fans to come in? Like your team might be struggling and all of a sudden they've signed someone big and they could make the finals now. Like, I don't know, it's there's it's all about money, isn't it? Like the competition's yeah. run on money. It's it's not about the fans as we learned in the weekend, but it's it's literally about money and what they can do for that. So I'm I'm a bit like Jess as well. When he says that chess game, I like that as well, but I like it in the terms of I like people being rewarded for getting their squad right from the start of the year and winning it because of their squad. I, I really like that. I don't like come August you're able to still add a player to help you win a comp. I just, yeah, it doesn't really yeah, fit well. But yeah, that was that was a but he wasn't mid season, was he? He came uh, at the start of this year, so he wasn't a mid season. Yeah, signed. I think he was signed late, like into the season. But then started. It was for the following year that he signed, if that mm. makes sense. Like he didn't play for them that year, but he was signed for the following yeah. year. Well, then I, don't like I don't like mid-season signings like leading up into the following year because that really irks me as a fan. Like if I know that one of my players has signed for a rival club the following season, then it you just put a lot of questions around their effort. And if they have a bludger of a game, we're like, oh well, it's because they're in next year mode already. Well, obviously the biggest one was going to be Ben Hunt going to Brisbane and signing for the Gold Coast. Like yeah. If that was allowed to happen, mm. it would have been the biggest joke of them all. So. Um, all right, let's, let's talk about this really fun topic that seems to not go away at the moment, the RLPA versus the NRL. And let's have our say. We, we've had the media spruiking stuff. We've had the NRL spruiking stuff. We've had Clint Newton and the RLPA spruiking stuff. Let's see what we believe, what we think is actually happening because it just seems like a big Mexican standoff where – None of them will drop their guns and it's just sort of if you have him out and have him out and vice versa, it's just it's a shit show, to be honest. I think every fan is over it. Um, I think blocking the players from speaking each week, it's got to the point now it is a bit ridiculous. It's not – I think everyone's gotten on with their lives, so it hasn't really mattered 
anywhere near as much as I think they wanted it to. So it just has given them basically egg on their face, the RPA, because they haven't achieved what they wanted to achieve. Um, and now they're trying to dictate who's in the meetings and how it's run, things like that, where I feel like, and I've got obviously I've got no threat part of the parties uh, either way, but I just feel like at the moment the NRL's on the front foot here. The RLPA is the one backing and getting backed into a corner and doesn't really have much left to go because you hear all the media pe personnel saying they get to talk to players still and none of them know what's going on still. Like it, it, they're all in the um, the black, uh, they got no power to the union, stick it up. Um, Adam, I just, where are you at with this one? Because I think it's, it's, it's sort of at a standstill um, and we get nowhere. Well, first of all, I, say I think Clinton is a flog. Um, and yep, I, I, I I'll gladly come out and say that. I, I think he makes a lot of it more about him um, than anything else. I think that's always been his way since he's been in that role. Um, we've seen it with some of his interactions with players across the time as well. Um, look, I don't know what the players want. I really haven't read too much into it. I, I'm really confused as to what they actually want. Like, it's not about more money, I don't think. I think it's about it's about their post-football careers and stuff like that, or? I think it's all that. Yeah. Look, I think, I'll, I'll say this, first. I think the fans are the ones that are missing out on this. Um, and really, without fans, the game is nothing. Um, let's be 100% honest. If the fans aren't tuning in every week or the fans aren't turning up the games, there's there's no, nothing without the game. But I don't know. It's just... I don't like it. Like I said, I don't like it, but it's, I'm trying not to say too much because I know some people involved in it, but it's, it, I'll let Jeremy finish off because I don't want to say what I want to say. I'll say um, it. They're on, yeah. If I could get paid a million dollars to play football and do something I love every week, I know that's a short career, but if I could do that for 10 years, I'd be fucking thrilled with the life I've created, wouldn't I? Um, obviously, risky injuries and stuff like that, but... <sighs> Not everyone's that lucky to live out their dream job. I know I've obviously got the risks of post-life stuff and that like that, but for me, I just think the players are being a bit selfish and I think there's too much attitude in the game and too many opinions of themselves in the game at the moment. There you go. Was that so hard to say, Adam? Look at you go. <laughs> uh, I agree with you, but And the thing is, it gets to me, is I hate when people say it's a short career. Like, what do these players do? And I know I've, I've spoken to a lot of players and that. It's not like after their footy career, they just go sit on their ass and that's it, they're, they're done. You've got to go and do post things, which having that NRL profile helps you get additional work post-footy career. And you've got that profile that brands want and want to use to attract other people. So um, I, I just feel like it's gotten, as you said, the fans getting impacted, but I also think, they're impacting the media in a way where they're the ones in the middle of this. They're the ones getting impacted the most and they've got no nothing attached to you at all. And they're the ones that pay the bills. They're the ones that give these players and given the salaries that they get basically from their TV ratings. Jez, where are you at with it all? You, can you say no. anything or do you need to hold yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. No, I won't upset anyone. Um, right. I think... So just trying to catch up with everything that's been happening, the, the media ban, um, I personally think, has come out because the even the players don't know why they're striking. Um, only a select few would because there's like 100 things on the bill that they're trying to propose. 
So there's the main ones that the media are, are letting out there, and it's around like the reduced payments during COVID, the additional team, the additional rounds, like things being added to the calendar without consulting the players first, which I think the players should be consulted when um, things are trying to be added. Like, yes, the NRL is the, the overall arching thing, but without the players, there's no game. And it's not like they can just go and look out and find new players because as we've just covered, there's not that many coming through that are going to be excitement in machines like the ones that we're seeing uh, week in, week out. So I think definitely the players need to be consulted when it comes to those decisions being made. And I think they they are still striking, or the media ban, um, is to stop the media actually pulling out the the lower paid player and saying, hey, what do you think about the strikes? Why, why, are, we, why are we butting heads? And not giving them the opportunity to go, oh, I don't actually know. It's just because I was told to. So that's why that media ban came out. The fans are hurting. Um, personally, I like that there's no halftime running alongside someone or crossing to the box live in the game because I think those ones are rubbish. But the press conferences and the post-game um, interviews, I'm, I am missing them as a viewer, as just a general viewer of rugby league. I want to hear and see what the players are thinking after the game. Um, but, yeah, look, in the long, 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 long story cut short answer, no, I don't know what's going on. And no, I don't see it ending before the, you know, the cutoff that they keep talking about. So... Wait and Christian, see. Look, look, Christian Welsh is probably well, pretty happy in our media press conference the other day, surely. <laughs> he would have got grilled. It is one of the ones in the RLPA. Jack, just on this, your comment, just please put us a little comment back explaining this a bit further, which we'll read out, because it's good to see that from a different side of it as we keep talking and players being treated unwell. Um, how so? Uh, we always want to know everyone's opinion here, because I just, and look again, our, our good friend Mick, has also come in, and uh, but how much does the NRL make without the players? There is no NRL; they deserve a fair share of it. And I don't think anyone is denying that. We we all think they deserve a fair sh- share of it. And that argument, I don't think that's what they're actually arguing about at the moment. I think they agree they're getting already a fair share when it comes to the money side of it. I don't think they want the extra money. It, it's more about some of this other stuff. But I just feel like the longer it goes, and this, the different measures, like. The strongest thing the RLP I feel like could have done with the players is not ban them from the media, is have them turn up to media sessions and talk about this stuff. But the reason why I think the media ban is in place is because Clinton hasn't explained himself properly to the, the players and knows that there'll be mixed messages, that no one, not everyone is on the same page with it, and there'll be things that come out from players that will then make Clint Newton look like a bit of a dickhead and a bit of a fog. The words. thing is, so, it doesn't affect all like the players. Like, look, the company I work for obviously went through a pretty big, um, you know, negotiations and stuff in our last EBA, um, and it was obviously pretty highlighted in the news and stuff. And I'll 100% say I didn't know all the stuff that was going on. Um, I didn't really, half of it didn't really affect me, but obviously I was happy to have my pay rise at the end of it when it all got solved, like anyone would. Anyone's happy for extra money. So like you said, it's those young players that it might affect, they might only have two or three-year careers, but kind of coming out and saying something. So... I know it's hard, but surely he can go around and kind of brief everyone on it, brief all the players on it if it's what they're saying they want to make. I was about to say, can you just send an email? And the last person just said something about read your emails. But they, they need to get everyone on the same page. If they're going to do this massive blanket um, approach, then everybody needs to know why they're doing it. 
And if there is a 100-point bill that they're trying to get across, then each player should have that list in front of them so they know why we are doing this or why they are doing this. Yeah. Don't be so hidden with it all. Like, I, I just think it's funny as well, and you just touched on it a bit there, Jez, is if they're doing like the media ban, for instance, do a media ban. Don't have certain days where you can talk to the media and certain days where you can't and certain people can. So it, like, it just makes a mockery of it all. Because if let's let's bring up the trains, for instance, if they have a strike, they have a strike. You can't get on the bloody train. So that, that that's a strike. That is putting something into action that you believe in. It just feels like this is so half-assed that that's why it's not getting taken seriously. And like talking about the Dalliums, for instance, the players are saying they're going to boycott the Dalliums. I don't think there's been many people who have watched the Dally M's for a long time. Yeah, who tunes into the Dally M's? Batshit. We just want to know who wins it, and that is all. We don't care about all the little interviews that go on throughout it. To be honest, it's going to, probably going to be a blessing from the heavens that it's get, 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 it gets cancelled. Like, Just give us a post and say so-and-so yeah. is one of this many votes. We're all good. We're all happy with that. We don't yeah. sit through an hour and a half show for it. Hold on and just say, oh, sweet, it's Tedesco. <laughs> I just, yes, yes, again, the highlight of last year's Dalliams was Dylan Brown rocking up with Brad Arthur's daughter, wasn't it? I think I tuned out <laughs> after that. <laughs> but insane, like, at, at the ground, I don't know if this is the same for Parramatta Games, but the um, the ground announcers will interview players after. Yeah, they're So for, at the ground, they still get the, the live version of a, a post-game interview. So you're right, it kind of is making a mockery of the media ban. It's keeping the fans happy that show up at the ground. But, again, if you're taking a stance, take a stance. Yeah, yeah I, I agree with what Josh said here. Um, I've been <laughs> half-assed, half-pregnant. Like, yeah, this is this is true. Like, they're all doing their paid media commitment still and happy to do that. And as soon as it comes to actually answering questions that are uh, – the, the fans want to hear, like those weekly press conferences, which a lot of people think are a bit of shit anyway. It's just the same messages as spruiked. But it's just annoying. I think it's got to the point where it just needs to literally lock people in a room, um, get the personal agendas away. So just get rid of uh, Clint Newton, get rid of Andrew Abdo, have the rest of them in there, get it sorted, whether it takes a day, whether it takes two days. Lock yourselves in there with some vodka, some bourbon, whatever. No, no. Fisty cuffs that you need. There's only <laughs> one, one man that can fix this, and that's Hungry Hungry Homer. Um, hungry <laughs> Hungry Homer, get the job done, get over the line. They wouldn't be moving the team anymore. <laughs> I think uh, after, gee. I think after, whenever this happens, Clint Newton has to step away, and they need a new face. That's this is my next little quick talking point, guys. Put your questions in through. Um, the, the box and we'll get to them after this any questions you got out there in the rugby league world but i think that you're spot on there jez i think there needs to be a new person now for the ropa a boss is there someone who stands out because i'll be thinking about this i think cameron smith would be the ideal man for it was alex Adam? mckinnon involved in this i no, I think he's in the Knights, isn't he still isn't he you're like recruitment manager or something still no, yeah, I, did, I didn't know if he was doing ropa stuff it was involved with something. Well, I think Brad Fittler's going to be looking for a job next year. Um, <laughs> so chuck him in there. But, look, you, you've probably nailed one there. Oh, but I don't know if he's interested in it. Like, I think he's one of those blokes who seems to be enjoying retired life and popping up on TV mm. when he wants to and stuff. Like, And he's obviously – you've got to have someone that's well-respected. Um, so That's why I'm he, thinking here. Yeah, yeah. But I think no, Smith has too much to offer. Like, I don't think he wants to be locked away with just that sort of stuff. He's got too much to offer the game. 
Yeah, we could just do a side hustle. That's it. <laughs> like, and you know what? Well, Melbourne, good, person... Melbourne players are good at side hustles. We know that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, you know the other guy who would be perfect for it, but he's not going to give up his current gig because he's got the world at his feet at the moment in a coaching perspective is Billy Slater and just how he talks and, and how he's able to, to navigate and manage certain situations I've seen throughout the origin period. So a couple I've of Queenslanders I've seen, I know. I've seen, theme, I've seen a theme here, Joel. You want oh, you want it? someone that can get dodgy deals done. Is that what you're saying? I just want oh, someone to get out the Queensland is, coaching staff is, is what he's is, trying to do. Is, yeah, is Greg yeah. English your third pick? Or, <laughs> or Cooper uh, Cronk? No, Cooper Thurston. Cronk. Thurston can go. Thurston can go in next. So. No, Cooper um, Cronk can go because I'm sick of listening to him. Far out. Yeah. Anyway. All right, let's get to some questions. Keep them coming through, guys. But we've got the first one came through. Frank, I hope you're still watching. I ask you to wait patiently. Uh, thoughts on doggies getting CO Takiyaho? Um, that's been reported uh, as of late uh, tonight, if you've got um, a chance to look at the news. I'm not sure if it's confirmed yet. I think it's still the rumour mill, but... Um, a decent signing, but again, for the I, I guess the Bulldogs they fixed their halves in a way where Sexton is there. I still personally don't think Burton should be in the halves. I think he's better on in the centres and flashing up doing his thing. I think there's still room to to build there with a five eight. Um, but yeah, I, I'm I was excited about the signing when I first read it because I remembered how good Tuggio was in his prime. But I felt like that last year he had with the Roosters, he wasn't great, and that's why he he was let go to Super League. And I honestly, I haven't seen him in Super League this year, so I can't comment on what he's been like. But look, the dogs are looking like they want to buy their way out of this mess at the moment. They just want to say they're the family club and bring through juniors, but at the moment all they're doing is signing players. So I don't know what sort of messages they're sending. That could be another talking point down the track. But do we like this possible Takiaho signing, boys? Seems a bit desperate. Seems a bit desperate. Um, look, if he can hit the form that he was at the Roosters, then, yeah, absolutely, he's going to be beneficial. But how old is he? Uh, 32, I think, now. Or 31, so, 32. Yeah, what are they going to get him for, two years, if that? Yeah, he said it was a multi-year deal, so probably two years, starting from next year. So, mm. So is he there to share his experience with the Ford pack or, like, it's again like with the halves predicament. Like you, you're bringing in an old fella to try and watch over these young guys. But I don't mm. know. I just they need, as Mika just said, they need meter eating forwards, and they're just I don't know. They're I don't care who they sign the Bulldogs, but fuck, they've got to be investigated, haven't they? Like if the NRL is not doing a serious probe of what they're doing over there, um, they're being linked to Luai now as well. Mm. Um, they obviously tried to. Um, offer Tino a pub as part of the deal. You've got Crichton coming next year. They've signed Reed. They've signed Kikau. As you said, they're trying to buy their way out of it. Um, Takio has probably a cheap option. They might want to return home to retire. Probably going to give him a cheap, but I don't, I don't think it's going to happen because they're an absolute basket case at the moment as well, the way they're going. But I don't want to, in five years' time, the Bulldogs win two comps and all of a sudden the NRL come out and say, oh, we've caught them cheating the cap again. When it was obvious yeah. everyone saying it was going on there. So they, they need to really pull their third-party deals apart because it's that's not right what's going on. Yeah, it stinks And it's a bit, the problem it? at the moment for the, the Bulldogs is because there's nothing wrong in terms of buying your way out of trouble. Like, just be honest, like, it's it's all good. Like, we know if you need to clear get to get the broom out, clear some players out, you need to obviously bring players in. But 
I think the thing that could get him into trouble, and we've seen it when Des was there and the fans hated that at the time, is they got he got them into so much trouble financially in the salary cap that they were so far behind in the end where all these players they're getting linked to, it's all big money contracts that seem like throwing at these players. So they could get themselves in another situation where, look, they might have a successful year or, or maybe two, but then after that they've got to deal with it again and go through it again and go through another five to ten years where it's just trying to deal with all the crap that's happened. So... It's an interesting one. I don't know if Lou has the question, uh, the answer for me in the halves. To be honest, just just keep buying Panthers players until you have the whole team. Why not? <laughs> it's why not? Um, why not? Why not? Well, look, I don't think there's any more questions coming through here. I think everyone's pretty happy with. I think the RLPA got everyone just exhausted once again because it's some of those conversations that no one likes to have. Do we have a final say? Uh, Jez, you only have one more final say on your team. It might not happen again for a while, but you've beaten a, a top four team. Yeah, we've beaten a top four team. Look, oh, I'm very happy with that. Like, this could probably be the peak of our season. And if so, then I'm back on the Warriors. Uh, Warriors, minor premiers. When's, when's, Mathematically can do it. When, when's the parade for the Knights win the comp? I just want to make sure I'm out of town that week, that's all. <laughs> uh, uh, look, tomorrow afternoon, 5 p.m. My final say is a praise for a, a team and it shows why Queensland get rugby league. Um, obviously, being at Townsville on the weekends, when the game on Saturday night, um, Townsville, obviously, a lot of the islands and stuff, people come across or people travel from a bit of distance away to go to the games. Um... <laughs> <laughs> oh, guys, that is... Yeah. Uh... Words. I'll continue in a second. I'll just... Yeah. I've only got three of them. Anyway. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, so what what the Cowboys actually do is after every home game, the next day they have a fan day. I walked past and it was – sorry, Cowboys. I say Cowboys, yeah. It was great to see. Um, you had players there interacting with all the kids and stuff and just, just being humans, just being human beings and having a good time and – giving back to the people that make the game possible, which is the fans. Um, something I'd like to see a lot more of. Uh, I'd like to see my own club instead of the, some of the opinions they have of themselves. But I just, like I said, it's one of those examples of why they're so passionate up there and why they get it. Um, I kind of feel sorry for giving it to them so much last year and getting kicked off a statue, but good on them. Um, yeah, like I said, it's just something that there should be more of um, and it's something the game needs. How's that stadium? I didn't go to the toilet. Oh, no, I did go to the toilet this time. Great stadium. Toilets are a disaster. Um, whoever designed that stadium, you, you've literally got to walk down 40 stairs and then go like this to get to the toilets. But the advantage of taking a two-year-old child is the parents' room is up the top. So every time I had to pee, I dragged Lucas there as well so I could uh, use that parents' room. So, yeah, a bit of a word of advice, take your kid to the football or pretend you've got a kid. <laughs> so just on that, the crowd, uh, the fan days as such, Tell us about the polar opposite experience you found on the weekend because I think this is something that a lot of fans would probably have the same experience for and, and probably feel the same about it because it was obviously Parramatta the away team uh, and obviously yeah. quite a, a day of Parramatta fans and it's disappointing to hear their reaction. Yeah, look, I'm not I'm not a fanboy by any chance. Like, you know, I grew out of that a long time ago. I'm not about if I walk past a player or if I see him, I'll have a casual chat to him and stuff, but I'm – not going to chase players to get them to sign stuff or have selfies or whatever, like, you know. Um, but it's disappointing when, obviously, people spend a lot of money. Oh, there was 
there is would have been two or three thousand Parramatta fans at a North Queensland game. Um, a lot of people couldn't make up last year. A lot of people couldn't get tickets that live in the area. Queensland has a massive Parramatta supporters base. I know they played like shit and they're probably disappointed with the win, but to watch the Parramatta players, the majority of them walk off after the game. Um, to watch three players go around, uh, most of who just to see family members who they probably would have been able to catch up after the game, and to ignore young kids that were there. Like you know, I, I said I stuck around because I had my nearly three-year-old child there, um, and he was excited for it, obviously. And I said, oh, you behaved during the game for once, so you can sit here and, you know, see some of the players. We'd have got a photo with him and the players and stuff. But to watch him just walk off after the game, um, yeah, it was really disappointing. Um, and it happens quite a bit, and it's been in the media. Paramount have been bagged out for doing it at home games, and all of a sudden they started going around handing out balls. Um, I don't think it's the players' fault. That's what they've been told to do. They've been told not to interact with the crowd. I don't know why but it's an issue that Paramount have at the moment. I know there is other clubs like it as well. So it's not, like I said, it's something that needs to change. Um, that's why I want to give the Cowboys props for what they do. And it shows their clubs, you know, got the interest of their fans really at heart, not just expecting fans to turn up no matter what. It's something that other here. sports do really well. So there was a big email that went around during Sandpapergate uh, for the cricket. So all the contracted players were told that after every game, whether it was a big bash, an Australian game, even a state game, you have to stick around and you're basically the last person to go down into the sheds. So it was it was a directive from the organisation itself. The AFL do it really well. They, they instruct their players to stay out and sign, get photos, because that's why they get 40,000 plus to each game. It's because after it, they get kids on the field as well. Um, and even the A-League... Are starting to do it a little bit better because they're going down the toilet pretty quickly. But it's something that the NRL does need to look at. They, they seriously, the NRL needs to look at. And whether it comes down to individual media managers or individual player managers telling them not to do it. But I think as a club, if you want to have the reputation of being positive with your fans, you need your players to go around and sign, take photos with the kids, even if you get smacked by 50. Like there were still Bulldogs players that were going around and taking photos when they got pumped by the Knights. They went around, they got beat by 60 and they're still going around and getting photos with the kids because that's the kids don't care what the scoreline is. They just want to see their favourite player. That's where that needs to change. And if Parramatta have got this reputation and other clubs as well, then it's something they really desperately need to look into because they're going to start they, losing fans and members. They, they did it. Like, yeah, even the Melbourne game last year I was at, like there was a big – they come across and clapped some of them, but there's only a few of them went around the fence. Um and even after the prelim final last year, as I mentioned years earlier, like there was only two or three players to come across. And I was pissed off back then. I was in the moment. It didn't affect me then. But when you think back about it, like people had spent like individually thousands of dollars to go to that game. Like I know people have spent four and a half thousand dollars for accommodation and flights to be out there to see them. And they were told not to come over by the coaching staff and media players. So media manager or whatever it is. So that's something they need to fix. Um you know, like I said, it happens in all clubs. But as Jeremy said, I, I've kind of been around the A-League and done a lot of away games for the A-League, and the players would always come across win, lose, or draw. So mm-hmm. it's something that needs to definitely be changed. Yeah, I agree with that. It's a good, good way to end, I think. Players, just fix yourselves up there. You're getting all this money, and I don't think it's it's too much to ask to have half an hour of your, your week mm-hmm. where you go and interact with the players, the other fans that help pay your wages on a weekly basis. Because if we're not tuning in, there's no point having a game and getting the numbers that you get. So I appreciate that. Um, just on a positive, uh, Adam, you can go now and fix those bite marks that you had. So um, enjoy uh, and see all you guys later. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>